I've made no secret of my love for heavy metal. I've listened to metal for most of my life. When people realize this about me, the obvious question is, well, then why don't I play heavy metal? The answer is twofold. Truthfully, I don't have the chops to play metal properly. My guitar playing is limited, my vocal range is limited, and my knowledge in music theory has just about flatlined. So, I'm very content to be relegated to the happy-go-lucky world of rock and roll. It's a station I accept gladly. Rock and roll is a much more forgiving master, not as strict and rigid as heavy metal's high standards. Although I'm not an idiot, I know all it would take would be for me to buckle down and concentrate on my chops a little bit more, and I'm sure I could beef up my guitar and vocal abilities. But that leads me to the second reason why. I simply don't want to. Being in this music biz for 19 years, a lot of what held mystery and intrigue for me has long been soiled. In a deliberate attempt to hold on to these innocent, wide-eyed feelings that attracted me to the music in the first place, I refuse to decode metal. I refuse to get too close to it, choosing to enjoy it from afar, standing in awe of it the same way my jaw dropped when I first heard Black Sabbath's Iron Man or Metallica's Battery. I don't want to master it. I want to worship it. And so, my life has been a constant tug-of-war. For as much as I love and appreciate the raw caterwaul sounds of primitive garage rock with its amateur aesthetics, I equally enjoy the virtuosic skills of metal's top players, namely guitarists, or to put it more bluntly, shredders. I love watching a shredder take aim and, with the skill of a sniper and the speed of a bullet, hit all their marks before one can take a breath in. It can be argued that it's simple gymnastics, void of any real creativity and inspiration. But then why is it so exhilarating to watch? Since I was a kid and heard Eddie Van Halen's eruption, the guitar solo has held so much mystical sway for me, and I was immediately indoctrinated into the cult of the guitar hero. People like Tony McAlpine, Jakey Lee, Randy Rhodes, George Lynch, Warren Demartini, Joe Satriani, uh, Greg Howe, Steve Vai, Paul Gilbert, Jason Becker, and of course, Marty Friedman, were like modern-day wizards to me, wielding their axes to make impossible sounds effortlessly. It's the reason why all Jeff Waters and Marty Friedman had to do was ask, and I was right there, singing on Annihilator Tracks and Marty's Inferno album. It was an honor to lay anything musical alongside these guys I consider to be masters. But as things go in cycles, the guitar solo went out of fashion, especially when Nirvana took over and a more punk aesthetic cascaded across the land until it reached its boiling point on Metallica's St. Anger, an album devoid of guitar solos. When the biggest metal band in the land opted to not use one of their greatest assets, that being the Kirk Hammett guitar solo, the pendulum had swung its full 180 degrees. But that was 13 years ago, and all indicators seemed to be once again favoring an emphasis on guitar artistry when listening to people like Tosin Abasi, Marnie Stern, John Five, Bumblefoot, Michael Amott, Richard Fortas, Jeff Loomis, and now Add Nita Strauss to that list. 
Nita Strauss is the lead guitarist in the Alice Cooper Band, but that's only where the story begins. Her CV reads like a carnival ride through the world of music, from deathcore bands to playing in Critical Hit with Jason Hayes, Jermaine Jackson's touring outfit, playing in Femme Fatale and The Iron Maidens with guitarist Courtney Cox, to playing in the Los Angeles Kiss House Band for Gene and Paul's AFL Arena Football League team, Nita has almost done it all. Now, since enlisting in Alice's band, she joins an elite group of musicians whose pedigree includes Michael Bruce and Glenn Buxton, Dick Wagner and Steve Hunter, Ryan Roxy and Tommy Henriksen, Reb Beach, Orianthi Panagaris, Carrie Kelly, Davy Johnstone, Steph Burns, and Kane Roberts. I discovered her over a year ago while in the studio laying down guitars for our new album, Fire Music. It was inspiring to see her play, knowing that there were new shredders out there on the scene to watch than my usual go-to list while I laid down my blues box paint-by-numbers guitar solos. Alice Cooper is currently on tour with Motley Crue as Crue wrap up their farewell tour. And when they hit Toronto this past August, I met up with Nita to chat. I want to thank Josh Villalta for helping set up this podcast. And of course, Nita for being very welcoming, despite some tech problems on my end. It was a Murphy's Law moment before I started recording this episode, but I managed to get it all together. I also want to thank Blue Mic Microphones and Skullcandy Headphones for supporting this podcast. And this podcast supports Chino Loco's restaurants because when I want a fish burrito, I want it stuffed with chow mein noodles. Thank you for listening and possibly subscribing to this podcast on either iTunes or SoundCloud. If you haven't subscribed yet, it's free, so please do so. Nita Strauss is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts now. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. They play the kid as Danko's crew will tell them for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Give me in from fucked up. Stop playing hang down, down. When the weather is bad and there's nothing much to do, take a listen, would you now, to what Danko Jones would do. It's the middle of the night and you better do it fast. Turn the speakers up loud for Danko's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts. No! So, Nita, thank you for having me at your place in my city. <laughs> Welcome to my place. Welcome to my, my temporary home away from home. Uh, that uh, you are currently on tour with Motley. That's right. And I think it was even last August, uh, the tour came in Tor- to Toronto. That's right. We did the uh, the beer place. What's the outside Molson Molson Amphitheater? Yeah, that was awesome. It was actually my first time there, and I loved it. It was a really really beautiful venue. Uh, we were in town. Um, but we were holed up in the recording studio. Uh, so um, the funny thing is, is it was a, around that time I was like, uh, around this time we were mastering. But before then, a few few months before, uh, it was uh, guitars 
and I had to do solos and stuff, and I was checking your videos out for no, inspiration. Weren't. Yeah, I was. <laughs> wow. And if thank you so much. and I'm gonna I, I'm gonna we're gonna do I, I've got to take a photo with you. I'm gonna send it to Eric Ratz, our producer, okay. because um, you know we were talking about your your. There's this one there's this one video of you um, where you did it yourself. You took the video yourself. And then you you smile at the camera, and then you rip into this like <laughs> solo that's insane. It, it has to be the the one where I was like in my old apartment, like sitting at the computer in my old apartment. See, the funny thing about that video is because I did it on um, what's it called, photo booth on the computer. <sighs> And uh, I had never made a video of myself playing before, and everyone goes, oh, "You're left-handed because it's switched. Oh, the video okay. flipped around." Oh, okay. And they right. go, "Oh, yeah." And then people that know I'm not left-handed go, "Well, you should really invest in a better camera, Nita. You should really invest in better equipment if you're going to be making videos of yourself." I say, "You know what? Just for that, I'm not going to make any more videos of myself. You guys are just going to have to watch the real videos, the real live videos. See, you really just can't please everybody, can you? No. You can't. Well, first." We, we checked out that and we were checking out there's also a very I think very popular um, well-known video of you and Courtney Cox uh -huh. at the NAMM show the trading off yeah. the in the art yeah the funniest part of that video I think is the <laughs> the guy at the beginning with like I think it must be the guy holding the camera or something but you hear the guy I, every time I see that video I always die laughing he's going oh like <laughs> making these hilarious noises really oh yeah, yeah you got it like next time you, you go if you type in uh, the Iron Maidens Nam 2012 or whenever that was 20 I don't even know what year it was um, but there's that's the funniest part of that video for me is this guy at the beginning you don't know what's going on well last year was like you had just joined Alice's band right that's right yeah so um, I think it was June, June, June so we were in the studio making this record and I think started to check out your videos and then news came like you know that girl we were watching like a couple days ago she just got the gig for Alice Cooper man so we were really really keeping abreast of what you were doing um, and then I think what started me following you on Instagram was that you posted I, I saw it in my search engine because I guess we have mutual Instagram friends um, it was just a picture of your iPhone or your 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 smartphone device listening to Inferno by Marty Friedman. Oh my god, I'm a huge, huge Marty Friedman fan, and I, you know, I do love that new album, but I love everything he's ever done. I even like the mellow stuff, like scenes. I would like to say thank you. Yes, so you know, nobody cares about the, nobody seems to really give Marty Friedman's chill stuff enough credit, you know, to bed, and like these really great, you know, relaxing songs. It's, they're masterpieces. I even like Tokyo Jukebox, if you've ever heard that album. It's, it's so Absolutely, catchy. absolutely. Like, um, and I'm on three tracks on Inferno. I did know that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was singing on that, and then the, there's a Japanese import that's going to be released soon with the third song. That I did, yeah. I, I knew you were on the album. I didn't know how many tracks it was. It was very, very cool. Yeah, and that was just, so I figured, oh... Hmm. That's like a that's like an in. So I, I that's how I was like, wow, who's who's listening to Inferno? And I'm like, oh my god, it's Nita Strauss. Oh, yeah, and uh, then I started to follow you on Instagram and, um, yeah, and and Marty's someone who's been on the podcast before, and the, the one commonality between me and Marty and that we became good friends very fast mm -hmm. was our mutual love for Kiss. Right. This is this podcast moonlights as a Kiss podcast. <laughs> whenever Marty comes on the podcast, That's awesome. so my question to you, and I know you you know where I'm going with this, is 
if I have the story right, you were basically discovered by Alice's people through Kiss in a roundabout way. In a very roundabout way, kind of, sort of, yes. Uh, when when Shep Gordon first found out about me and asked, "What can I? What what can I see of this girl?" And they said, "What do you want to send him?" I thought, you know, I thought about it. I said, well, he doesn't probably doesn't want to hear me playing Maiden songs. You know, I could send him some shred shit that I've done, but nobody really wants to hear that. You know, like, it's not really an Alice thing. So I thought, what better thing to show him than me playing the national anthem at an arena football game? And that, of course, was when I was playing for the L.A. Kiss, the team that is owned by Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. So uh, I sent him a video of me playing the national anthem, and that was what said, that was what prompted him to say, okay, I want to meet this girl. So it wasn't someone in the Alice camp, like, in the stands going, let's catch a football game no. with Gene and Paul. No, that actually, that was the first, that was the home opener. That was the first game ever. And uh, oh, right. they didn't have anyone to sing the national anthem. You know, I was already playing at the game, doing, like, some in-game, you know, kind of just entertainment stuff. And Harlan Hendrickson, who is the sort of entertainment director, mastermind of the L.A. Kiss extravaganza. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to call it a football game so much as a huge extravaganza. He said, look, he called me up. He said, do you know anybody that can sing the national anthem? You know, we're kind of looking for a name, but, you know, we, we tried to get Slash. We tried to get this and that. I said, please let me do it. Like, I was like, I will not charge you anything else, which is probably what got it for me. <laughs> I said, I'll do it for free. I won't. You know, like if <laughs> if you don't, uh, you know, if you're like, I'll never do it again. But just like, please, just let me do it one time. I'm a big sports fan, big NFL fan, and I just thought always thought it would be so cool to play the national anthem at a football game. So I got to do it, and in doing that, it ended up opening up an amazing door for me. Um, uh, okay, so can we backtrack here? How did you even get the gig for the LA Kiss football team? That in itself, the idea of Kiss owning a football team and naming it after, their, after themselves. After themselves. What else would they name it? I know. <laughs> like, uh, love guns. <laughs> you know, how did that even come about? Is and, and you're obviously a Kiss fan. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's hard to be in rock music today and not be a Kiss fan. You know, I actually I was on that metal show not that long ago, and Ace was on the same show as I was, and I had to play guitar right in front of him. And I like I yeah. don't think I have ever. You know, my boyfriend said to me, he's like, I've never seen you nervous like that. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I don't really get nervous. You know, and we you know, grass pot these huge festivals, which of course we both have have yeah. done this year. It's I never didn't really get nervous, but you know, looking there, seeing Ace Freely sitting there looking at me, going, okay, impress me. I was like, oh. <laughs> if I remember that episode correctly. He was like, he was pretty much on fire. I mean, he was yeah. cracking the was whole funny. panel up. Yeah, he was funny, witty. Uh, you know, he's he's a little spacey, but I think that's just Ace. That's Space Ace. ace. <laughs> you know, yeah. he, he brought a new meaning to Space Ace that day. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. But it was it was just, I mean, him and Mark Farner. It was just so crazy. Yeah, he was an interesting cat as well. Like someone I didn't expect to be like that. At, Me either. Yeah, he was. Kind of like a hippie. Yeah, right? well, I thought it was funny when he was like, they said, what's your advice? He's like, women. He just went right out there and said it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and of course, I, you know, I did my audition process for the Alice Cooper Band with Shep Gordon and Bob Ezrin. Shep, Shep Gordon, the manager of Alice Cooper. Yeah, long and... manager Alice, 45 years, I think, now or something. He's got a great documentary out called Supermensch. If you guys haven't seen that, it's right. so good. And But Ezrin was really like... You know, I, I met them at, at a, a really swanky hotel in L.A., and I walked in. I was like, that's the guy that made Destroyer. <laughs> like, that's the guy, you know, of course, Pink Floyd and, you know, and 
all the early Alice stuff and all of Esmond's accomplishments, but all I could think about was, oh my God, Destroyer. <laughs> Destroyer! Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but did I see Bob Evzerin in the lobby before I got up here? Is he on the tour? Uh, he is not on the tour. He might oh. be here. If, if he's here, I didn't know that. He lives. He doesn't live in Canada. I know that, but he, he could very well be here. It wouldn't surprise me if he was here. I, uh, if he is, nobody told me. <laughs> Um, maybe it's just, I, I just like maybe being in the lobby knowing who's here and yeah. I just have my radar up. Yeah, you're like, oh, that, <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's, that's the tour manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, no, uh, it, it would be, it would be really a treat to see, to see Ezrin here. I don't think he's seen the show in quite a while and the show has really evolved. You know, um, Shep and Bob were very instrumental when I first joined the band. They were very instrumental in, you know, sort of building the show, letting me know what parts to come out and, and grab some spotlight, what parts to sit back and let Coop really do Coop, you know. And uh, and the, the, the whole sound of the band is very carefully constructed. So I would I would love the chance to show Ezra and how far it's come since last year when we first started doing this, when I first started doing it. Um, and, and that's another thing I wanted to ask is, though there is a, a, another thread between Alice and Kiss through Ezra. Mm -hmm. You were with L.A. Kiss. Mm -hmm. Um, was there any connection between you being with the Kiss Camp in a way and then bridging over to Alice? No, you know, none whatsoever, which is so funny. It's such a it's such a small world, such a small musical world. You know, like, yeah. of course, we're out with Motley Crue. They've got a lot of Kisses crew Don, out. Doc McGee. Yeah. Connection. Yeah, well, they've got a lot of their road crew. You know, a lot of the riggers and sound people have also done Kiss and you know, the front of house guy was with Kiss for years and, you know, all this stuff. So it's a very, like, tight-knit, close group. Actually, I don't remember who it was, but when I was there and uh, met Shep and Bob for the first time, I think it was Bob that said to Shep, have you seen this video of her playing the national anthem? And, and Shep said no, and they watched it right there in front of me, and I was just sort oh of sitting God. there in the hotel room like, oh, I'm glad I know I did this good. <laughs> like, I'm glad I know it was a good video because if I wasn't sure what video it was, I would have just been, like, terrified. Right. Um, but but Bob is such a such a cool person to work with. He's very exacting, knows exactly what he wants, knows you know, and he's very not sh not shy about telling you what it is that he wants during you know during my audition process. It was very like it can be very intimidating. Oh yeah, it's very 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 intimidating. But I'm a perfectionist too. I understand what it's like to work with a perfectionist. So. You know, the real trick for me with that whole process was not getting offended, not saying, okay, it's not like he doesn't like me. It's just that what I'm playing is not right for what they want, you know. So I have to figure out how to not get bummed out, not, you know, because we're guitar players. We're sensitive, you know. So what do you mean that's not what you want? This is me. This is my only way of communicating. And, I mean, as a guitar, as, as a guitar player, you identify as a shredder. Yeah. You're a shredder Ezrin in that classic scene. That. That's so funny. There's this, this story I've told a couple times, and uh, Ezrin called me up and woke me up like really early in the morning. And he goes, he asked me if I thought, he said, do you think you're a rock guitar player? And I said, yes, sir, I do. He was like, you're not. <laughs> you're a shredder. And I kind of know what he means yeah. by that. I, know, I completely know what he means. Uh, I, and he said, if you're given the chance to be in the Alice Cooper band, could you become a rock guitar player in time? And I said, yes. Yes, sir, I could. And actually, I took my very first guitar lesson of my whole life that day. I was like, okay, I went to a, a teacher in LA, you know, I asked around, found the best rock guy. Joseph. Oh, well, I mean, that guy would be great. <laughs> I don't think he lives in LA anymore. Um, no, it was a, a great teacher named Bill LaFleur, and I went over, you know, he was at uh, GIT at Musicians Institute for many years, and I went over to his apartment, and I said, I need some licks, dude. Like, you gotta give me some, some licks, man. I need some rock licks. And, um, 
really just took me to the blues school, you know, real classic stuff, you know, and I had to throw all the Malmsteen and Vi and John Petrucci and string skipping and all this stuff out the window and really just go to basics. It was awesome. It was a great education. It, it, yeah, it's interesting because um, I I identify as a rhythm guitar player. I can't solo out of my balls if I can't solo <laughs> to save my life. So, you know, I, I do understand the difference between uh, the shredding and um, the rock guitar playing. Yeah. It's a, it, do you consider rock guitar playing to be a little more uh, messier? Um, well, I mean, you look at guys like Hendrix and Jimmy Page and stuff. They're not the cleanest guitar players. You know, they're Asian. they're sloppy. They're, sloppy. I mean, but not in a bad way. You know, it's. Uh, I think rock guitar playing is an elusive art. You know, anybody can shred. Anybody can sit down and get a metronome and, and drill. You know, the same runs and scales until you can play them fast. Shredding is easy. You know, rock guitar playing is not easy. You really have to feel it. It has to come from somewhere. And that was something because I'm a. I am one of those guitar players that can fall into a pattern of being very mechanical. I can just go, oh, I can play fast, so that's it. You know, I got some speed at a younger age, and I just, oh, I'll just do something fast. I default to fast. And to really play something that comes from the heart, that takes effort. That takes time. So people go, oh, the rock stuff's easy. The rock stuff is not easy to do well, you know. It's really not. It's it's a very cliched, very ch- almost cheesy way to describe, but like it's it is true. Uh, you got to play with your soul and your heart, Absolutely. and you know, um, and but the the funny thing is, is the 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 whole kind of shredding, for lack of a better term, like shrapnel yeah. way of doing things, like that whole Mike Varney w- went yeah. out of the vogue. Comedy. Yeah, but it went out of vogue. I'm I'm very interested to know how you, how you got how you got into that whole kind of scene when it was out of vogue. I'm I'm assuming. Out of vogue. Yeah, I think you know I was I was born at the end of '86. So by the time I started playing guitar, I started playing guitar in 2000, and uh, so it was totally uncool. That was just not happening. It's completely uncool. Um, But I started playing guitar after seeing the movie Crossroads seeing Steve Vai do that amazing scene at the end of the movie. Just all, every guitar player listening to this right now goes, oh, yeah, 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 I know exactly what you're talking about. 100 to 200 times. <laughs> thousand times. Yeah. 100 to 200,000. Like, you know, yeah, I just... The, um, the, the, tr- the question is, which side did you pick? Which which guy do you pretend oh, to be? Oh, Vai. I still pretend to be Vai in Crossroads every day. <laughs> like, I pretend to be Machia. Really? Yeah. See, that's or so Rye interesting. Cooter, yeah, Rai Cooter. Um, yeah, to this day, I will always, I will always maintain... I spend every minute of every day just trying to get to the level of coolness that Steve I was in Crossroads. Like, yeah, he was pretty. He was so cool. Nice like, he was yet. so cool. Like, I remember, you know, I had a guitar. I didn't really play it back then. And uh, I remember just sitting and watching that movie, and I was just, like, thinking, what? How come nobody told me you could do something that cool with a guitar? I had a little squire, like, you know, I couldn't I do anything like that. Too. Yeah, a little black and white squire. The first thing I did was take off the white scratch plate and put a black one on. <laughs> Even back then, always customizing my stuff. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. And that movie just holds up. You know, I, I show it to my, my boyfriend. It is a drummer. He'd never seen it. And I was interested to see how it would translate from a guitar player's perspective, you know, dive to, to another musician's. And he was just as enthralled by it as I was. It was so cool to see somebody as affected by it. You know, it really showed me it's a it's a universal thing. It's not like oh, I'm a guitar player and that's Vi and Vi's cool. Like it was wow, this is a, you know a really story of good and evil. And, and he was acting to a certain degree in that movie as well. Right? Mm-hmm. So there was a, it wasn't just a guitar player. Not yeah, any, any guy. 
could have gone up there. And yeah, any guy could have gone up there. And the the infuriating thing about that movie, of course, is that Vi just messes up on the easy part at the end. Like he played all the other stuff and he can't I do know. the bends. Like yeah. come on. Yeah, bends. He just yeah. Oh, on. oh, it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we did a video uh, about what was it five years back mm-hmm. with um, a guest star, Ralph Macchio guest starred wow. in our video. Yeah. How cool. I have to- and during the day, you know, we would give him his space. We would just, like, let him be mm-hmm. on his own. We didn't want to um, bug, bug him or anything. But he came to us. He kept coming up to us going, hey, guys, so how is it, like, being in a band? And, <laughs> and like, do you guys know Karate Kid? And, yeah. and we, were, we all said, well, we like Karate Kid, but it's, um, crossroads. it's crossroads. He goes, of course, of Crossroads. Course. That's why, you know, that's the connection. And he goes... Um, when his son was learning how to play guitar, he has that guitar at home from the movie, oh, wow. and he brought the son brought it. His son brought it to his guitar teacher to play to get a lesson, wow. and uh, all the teachers wherever he was all gathered around the guitar. Everyone oh, was I making up. So it is a big deal. The Crossroads did really um, hit a lot of people. In more ways than I think the movie really ma- yeah. movie makers even knew. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I mean, it was a good movie. It wasn't great, you know, but like, but just the, you know, we were actually just talking about on the tour bus because uh, the guys play these relict guitars, you know, these relict Gibson guitars, and they got these new ones. I looked at at Tommy Henriksen, our guitar player. I said, I bet you saw that in the store window, and you just bought it because you thought it looked beat up, <laughs> like <laughs> Lightning Boy, <laughs> you know, like just, it's classic. It's a classic movie, and. Uh, you know, maybe maybe it's like Spinal Tap. You know, I wonder if those guys really knew how much that movie would stand the test of time. Man, I will. You know, you're a touring musician. You know that movie is very true to life. Yeah, you you. Um, I think every musician who goes on tour, who goes through something that was similar to the movie, just oh, yeah. quotes that part of the movie. Awesome. Yeah. You know, whether you can't find the stage or, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how many cities I've said hello Cleveland in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We did a we did this gig uh, at the end of the last tour. Every once in a while, you know, you throw in off day shows or whatever, and sometimes they're cool, sometimes they're like less cool. And we played at this casino. And uh, it was us, and then I think the next day was a comedian, a Spanish-language comedian named Polo Polo. (laughs) I looked at the guys, I was like, if I told them once, I've told them a thousand times. It's Alice Cooper, then Polo Polo. (laughs) It's Spinal Tap, then Puppet Show. (laughs) It's funny, man. Being in a band's funny. Yeah, um, and and is this this isn't your the first full-on touring band? You were in the Iron Maidens, Mm -hmm. but you were also Maybe I'm wrong, but did you get your start, your real like pro start, uh, playing guitar with, with Jermaine Jackson? I would call that my pro start. Yeah. That is um, quite an interesting <laughs> point on a resume. It for is. A rock guitar. It is. You know, and the funny thing is, you know, I had done tours before then. I had done tours, you know, Warp Tour and this and that with all my local bands. You know, I played in, you know, toured with a uh, deathcore band called His Blood Runs Black. Like I had this sort of like very like heavy background is that your is that your uh, passion as well playing playing metal. metal i love playing metal i do you know and i can't help it and and the album i'm writing now i'm working on a solo album and it's so heavy and every once in a while i take a step back and look at it and i go 
people aren't going to like this. <laughs> like, I mean, people are going to like it, but, you know, a part of me thinks I should make a rock record that Alice Cooper fans will appreciate that will, you know, that will be, you know, I'm, I'm 28. Maybe I should make a rock record and do the, the heavy record later, but I have to make the record that's in my heart. Right. I have to make the record, and the record that's in my heart is very evil, <laughs> like, you know, and, and it's just, that's what's coming out. So it's it's funny, because that's, that's my background, is playing thrash and, and death metal and black metal and stuff. Um, so I got the call in 2010, fresh off the As Blood Runs Black tour, and they said, can you play funk? And I said, yeah. Like, you know, because my, my MO is always just say yes yeah. and figure it out. Right. You know, you're not going to ever get a gig if you go, well, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, I've never done it before, but I'm sure if I have a couple weeks, I could get there. It's like, they're going to be like, okay, forget it. We'll find somebody who can do it. So they said, can you play funk? I said, yeah, of course. Absolutely I can. With this sort of like very limited, like Santa Monica, which is where I'm from, California idea of what funk was, which is nothing. <laughs> it's no idea. So, um, so I got in there, you know, I auditioned and got the gig. And then the other guitar player was Mike Scott, who has, who's played with Justin Timberlake, Prince, you know, the funkiest guy on the planet. And I realized very quickly that Mike Scott can play more with one note on one string than I can play with all the scales I know. Like all the runs and scales and sweeps and, you know, Nuno Bedencourt kind of slides and stuff. None of that was cool in this camp. Like they were like, oh, yeah, cool. Just play the part. Just do it. Just do it as it's written. Right. And uh, so that was a really big eye opener for me. That was that was a moment where I was like, maybe playing fast, light bulb, maybe playing fast isn't everything. <laughs> Who knew? Right. No one told me. <laughs> what's your name on that? Uh, he was he was lovely to me. He yeah. was really you know I've heard all kinds of stories about working with the Jacksons, working with the Jackson family, and uh, we had Tito and Randy in and out of the rehearsal room, oh, cool. you know, during tour prep for that, and they were never anything but perfectly lovely with me. You know, I was I was the only one that didn't know anybody. I was the only girl in the band. I was the youngest one by 20, 30 years, and everyone just really embraced me. Everyone was very very cool. And I mean, working with you know, Jonathan Moffat playing drums, you know, and musical directing, like it was just, it was such an experience. I didn't even really understand fully at the time what I was getting myself into. And then now I look back, I go, wow, I was playing with some pretty cool people back then. There's a, there's a really interesting thing where, like, to the lay person, some of these names you're throwing out doesn't mean anything. But then there's a second tier of fandom where it's like hired, like, not hired guns, but like guys, jobbers yeah. are celebrities amongst themselves in a certain area of of the music industry oh, absolutely. and there's like Nuno Betancourt's and Richard Fortas's oh, yeah. they're they're like gods. yeah yeah to they're a lot of people and, dr and drummers yeah. are like that's another scene unto them unto itself yeah well, our drummer Glenn Sobel is one of those guys like he's been around the hired gun scene for so many years and it's just a Fantastic drummer. You know, when we when we played together at Grass Pop a couple months ago, I, I was in the crowd. I saw the set. Oh, did you? Yeah, I was there. I watched the whole set, wow. and all I was looking at was that drummer guy going, yeah. "Who the fuck is yeah. that dude, man?" Glenn Sobel. Glenn Sobel is is really a force of nature, force to be reckoned with. Glenn, he's yeah. a great drummer. I've known who he was. You know, we're both from LA. We're both LA born and bred, Glenn and I. So I've known who he was from the scene just for years. I didn't even know his last name was pronounced Sobel. I thought it was pronounced Sobel. <laughs> like, right, right. And I was, I, so I've known who Glenn was since I thought his name was Glenn Sobel. And I was like, oh, I'm in a band with Glenn Sobel? That's so cool. Like, you know, and that's the crazy thing about being in, in this Alice Cooper band. You know, Chuck, of course, Chuck, Chuck Garrick, our bass 
player was in Dio. You know, Ryan Roxy, I used to have a picture of Ryan Roxy on my wall next to my picture of Jason Becker, you know, like when I was a young guitar player growing up. So it's kind of crazy looking, you know, and of course Alice has had this phenomenal guitar player, you know, the guitar list of guitar players in his yeah. band, you know. And, and, you know, Al Petrelli and Red Beach and Steve Hunter and Dick Kane Wagner, Roberts. Kane Roberts. And it's just so crazy to look at that list and see my name on it, it still. Like, that's the thing when we heard or I read or I found out somehow that you had gotten the gig. It's like, well, now she's, she's, just, she's just part of this lineage that comes automatically with this starter kit of like, okay, you're automatically going to be known forever. Yeah, what a great, what a great honor that is. How, how did I don't know if we went through this, but how did you get the Alice Cooper gig? Okay, you sent in the videotape of you at the L.A. Kiss show. They saw, they asked, they Bob asked and Shep, yeah. They and asked then, what to, what what they could see of me playing, and then they uh, I went and met them. Once I met up with them, we just really hit it off well. Shep and Bob and myself just got along. We laughed and talked, you know, talked business, talked music a little bit. And then um, they sent me some tracks to play over. They sent me some audition tracks, which Bob immediately tore to pieces <laughs> and just said, this is, this is, and he just called me up. You know, I sent them in. I managed to send them in. He called me within 10 minutes, two songs. So I don't even know if you listened to it all the way through. He called me within 10 minutes. This is not what we're looking for at all. Like, his, I think his exact words were, can you do anything else? So, yeah, yeah, no, 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 you know. So intimidating. Yeah, but, you know, but now that I look back on those early auditions, I realize I was so in the show-off mindset, you know, because when we had spoken, they said, we really want someone that's a big presence, that can take over the stage, that can, you know, be a big part of the show, and I was very confident. And I was like, okay, I, I, I got this. I was playing upside down, doing all kinds of crazy tricks, and this is like, this is just so not what the Alice Cooper band is all about. I was like, uh, what? <laughs> I would have gone with the same approach if I was you. Yeah, well, you know, you gotta show them what you can do. Yeah, and you now they know, and then you go back and you do the simple stuff, and it was ended up being, you know, the rock stuff. And I think before I did end up getting the gig, they, they probably still had some reservations about that. But the thing is, just show me what to play, and I'll play it. You mm -hmm. know, tell me, tell me, go off and go nuts. I'll go off and go nuts. If you show me exactly what to play, I'll play exactly that. So yeah. that's, I think, and that's a. A big part of the hired gun, quote unquote, idea, I think, is to not step all over the song and not, you know, really just give the song its own space. And that's uh, that's not easy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry for using the term hired gun. Yeah, that's, it's it's that's exactly what it is. It's it's a it could be viewed as a kind of a um, derogatory term for people, oh, but there is a star system within that. I don't think it's a negative thing at all. I was actually just in a documentary called Hired Gun, you know, and and it's, you know, it's it's what it is. It's I don't think there's any shame in being a hired musician, which a lot of people are like, oh, well, you're not a real band member. You're not a real this and that. It's like, well, first of all, there are no real band members in this band. You know, the, the band is Alice Cooper. It has always been Alice Cooper, and it will always be Alice Cooper. I, I'm just so thankful to get the chance to play you know, I don't care what they call me. <laughs> I get to play with Alice Cooper. And how was Alice like during this whole process of you joining? He was great. You know, I actually, I met him when he was in the studio working on the Hollywood Vampires record, which is, uh, I think, is just about to come out. And uh, he was just totally, totally cool, very welcoming, very uh, receptive. You know, it, <clears throat> it's interesting now, I hear him do interviews, he goes, yeah, we really wanted a shredder. You know, we wanted, we wanted a shredder to come in. I was like, okay <laughs> but that's what they got you know and and it's been so well received you know and obviously you know he had Orianthe in the band before me and she's got her own built-in fan base and I had a lot of people to win over you know and a lot of 
a lot of rock fans are not so much into the kind of over-the-top style of playing that I do. And, you know, not everyone's going to like it, but I think most of them have, have come over now. Well, I mean, I, I wasn't able to catch you last year with Motley, uh, but I did see you a couple months ago, and it was a spectacular show. Thank it was so amazing. Um, okay, so as I said before, this is uh, this podcast, Moonlights, is a KISS podcast. Yeah. So I had to ask you one more question, which is, what were your dealings? What, 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 ha- like Kiss and Gene and Paul, how's Paul Stanley? What, what's that whole world like? You know, the, the guys, to, you know, I wish I had better stories. They honestly weren't around much. You know, they, they kind of, they got there at game time. They left just after game time. But the coolest story, I, I will tell you this, the coolest moment that I had with them of all, because I had to leave the LA Kiss season early to come on the Alice Cooper tour. And I really, you know, from the time that I, I got this phone call to send to, you know, to send Shep a video and to the first day of the tour was about two and a half, three weeks. So it wasn't like there was a long, you know, way, a long window of time. So I, I sort of had to leave them in the lurch. They, I found another guitar player. I had Courtney Cox from the Iron Maidens come in and do the rest of the season. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, I got my best friend to do it. You know, what, what, what else are you going to do? Um, but I had to make the tough call and say, look, I'm sorry, I can't fulfill my commitment to you guys. And um, they were very, very cool about it. And uh, I was leaving the stadium on my last day. I was leaving um, the I was leaving the arena. And Paul was walking to his car. I was walking to my car. I said, see, Paul. you know." And then he stopped. And he actually turned around and walked back, which I thought was so cool. He didn't have to walk out of his way. And he shook my hand. He looked me right in the eye and said, I heard we're going to lose you after today. We're really bummed. He goes, but if we have to lose you to anybody, I'm really happy it's to the Alice Cooper camp. They're great people, and you're going to have a great time. Wow. I was like, I was so touched. I actually, like, I tried, I was like, I had tears in my eyes. I was like, wow, that is so nice of him. He did not have to do that. No. You know, like, he, there, was, there was nothing, you know, there was no, and this wasn't in front of anybody. This wasn't, you know, this was just, like, a truly genuine moment from one person to another saying, we're sorry to lose you, but we're happy. If, if we have to lose you to anybody, we're glad it's to the Alice Cooper band. I'm, like, like, a little happy thinking about it now. Like, a little, you know, what a what a cool thing. I didn't even know if they knew who I was. You know, like, of course, they approved me to, you know, to do the thing. But uh, it was just a really cool moment. Well, I mean, out of all the original members, there's a lot of people who are, you know, on Ace's team, Gene's team. I've always said, I'm Team Paul. Team Stanley. I'm Team Stanley. Uh, he's favorited two of my tweets. Yay! He answered one of my questions on Twitter. <laughs> um, so I love that new uh, Ivan that just came out with the reissue of the Paul Stanley signature guitar, the Mirror guitar. Isn't that the wash? Isn't it a wash? It's an Ibanez. Oh. The new one. The they, they brought it back from from the old the old school one. They just reissued it. And it is so cool. The cracked mirror yeah. guitar. Oh man, it's cool looking. I would just have it just to have. Oh, I want one so bad. I want one so bad. They're really really cool looking these things. That's great. Um, well, thank you very much, Nita. I know you got to go to sound check and go to the venue and uh, do your thing with Motley Crue. And how has Motley Crue been on this whole year of touring with them? They've been so great. They've been so welcoming. Uh, their whole crew has been great. The the um, the band members have been awesome. I love Nikki, man. Yeah, Nikki, I think, spends more time in our dressing room than his own. You know, always swapping war stories and Yeah, he's a great dude. Yeah, he's really, really. All of them have been really, really cool with us. All of them have have been very, you know. There's no between them and us. There's no opening band support band ego, you know, which would be very easy. It's their last tour, you know. It'd be easy, but these, uh, they also also have a tremendous amount of respect for Alice, you know, and and, uh, the Woodgate crew. 
Yeah. Or Kiss. Or, yeah, I mean, he's, he really, you know, and that's the funny thing, you know, we do these metal festivals like Hellfest and Gross Pop and all this stuff, and I heard, overheard Nikki and Alice talking about it, and Nikki goes, man, they don't like us on these festivals, and Alice goes, well, we're grandfathered in. They like us, because they, they give respect to where it all came from. Oh, so that's, that's been the very, very cool thing, and, and the Motley guys have been really, really a joy to tour with. I'm trying to, I have a great tour prank idea for the end of the tour, actually, that uh, I'm not going to say, but I don't, hopefully the guys will go along with it because I think it's an amazing idea. Everyone goes, no, don't prank Motley Crue because it's their last tour. I think you have to prank them because it's their last tour. It's tradition. Support band has to prank the headliner. Last tour or no last tour. I mean, the tour prank is a tradition that should never die, ever. Well, thanks a lot, Nina. Um, Thank you Thanks for coming on. I know it took a, a while to get this done. I stalked you and Josh at Grass Pop. Um, I was never able to find you guys. You know what? We were only there for just, uh, we're, I think it was like a drive-in, drive-out for yeah, us. Yeah, I figured that much because yeah. like it was like, wow, it's like two hours till showtime and not one person from their camp is here. Yeah. So so I figured it was an in-and-out thing. Yeah, drive-in, drive-out. Um, we, yeah, we didn't, we, we rarely, actually rarely get there. I think... We, we usually arrive about two, three hours before stage time. Well, I was, I was stalking you guys out in catering. I figured, well, even if they're coming in late, they got to eat. They have to eat, exactly. Yeah, but, but I'm glad we did it here in Toronto. I'm so glad to. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you.